This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, man. How about you? How's tricks? Uh, good. I'm slightly ill at ease because I ate that delicious bun from the local coffee shop too quickly. Uh, but apart from that, I'm in good condition. Chew your food. That's a, yes, there's a basically swallowed it. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> is it like a, is it like when Top Cat just like sticks the fish in and takes the bones out? Yes, exactly. Like flings it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it is. Um, yeah, so like life is generally good. Weather here is baking, as you know, 30 odd degrees again today. Yeah, I mean. Not wild it, about that, like when, uh, when you think that it's going to be autumn. Is it? You start getting into a bit of an autumnal vibe and then all of a sudden it hits you with the, hits you with the <sighs> yeah. I was going to say hits you with the heat, but it's hits you with the heat. Yeah, but this heat is dangerous. Anyway, another story. Yes, well, we'll I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll let's that. not. Yeah, let's not get into that, but we all know what that's about. I'm going to go woke enough on this podcast. <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway, enough, enough of us. Enough of us. Um, uh, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Just a quick bit of admin. You and me are going to be on Writer's House tomorrow and you're going to do a mailbag. Yeah, First Writer's House mailbag of the season, which Can't will be wait. fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, so go check that out. Um, today we're going to touch on, <laughs> it's going to be serious first half, Yeah. fun second half using the men's international break to address and kind of put together a load of stories that have been rolling on for the first few weeks of the men's season um, and club football returning in Europe, etc. Yeah. Then we'll do a really fun question. Some got some fun questions for part two. Yeah. And while we're here as well, just on that note to shout out to the incredible work being done by investigative journalists on this. Yeah. Absolutely relentless. The best thing about it has been, you know, we're looking for this reform of, women's football in Spain and beyond. And what's been so great is just the momentum. People mm. have really kept up momentum. It's one report after another, going into further detail and then not allowing people to get away with, oh, let's just sack this figurehead and move on. It's really, really thorough. And that's not down to the commentators. That's down to the journalists doing the work, the grassroots. And of course, the players protesting, just a 
huge shout out to them. Really wonderful to see. Yep, absolutely. And um, before we get on with the show, yeah, I'm going to shout out first of all Brianna Pinto for an amazing goal in the 95th minute for North Carolina Courage against, oh, catch this. against the current to send them into the NWSL Challenge Cup final mm. where they will face I always want to call them Rathing Louisville but I know it's Racing Louisville Racing Rathing. who <laughs> are into the final with uh, uh, beating O.L. Reign and they're going to be pushing for their first NWSL trophy they've not, they've not won an NWSL tournament before so they're going to be facing off in the NWSL Challenge Cup final. Mm. Lovely to see Dr. Nadia Nadim coming on for Racing Louisville. Love that. That's on Saturday, the Challenge Cup final. The Ballon d'Or lists were announced. Yeah, they were. And they were. Um, bad week for uh, Alejandro Balde, who admitted he doesn't listen to Taylor Swift. So the Swifties... They came for the him. Swifties mobilised. They came for him. I did not believe cancel culture existed until I saw... <laughs> The Swifties in action. I can I just say, can I say this? <laughs> if Taylor listen, Swift fans, hey, Musa, listen, listen, I knew listen. you were in trouble when you walked in. Musa. If Taylor Swift fans are listening to this podcast, total respect for her discography. Love, love Taylor such, Swift. Such a fan. Love Taylor Swift. <laughs> come for us. Please leave us, leave us a rating and a review. Exactly, exactly. You know, we used to play this game before we joined The Ringer about we'd have almost like a themed review each week. Right, right. a month of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, the audacity of a, of a footballer to say you don't listen to one of the biggest pop stars in the world in Ballon d'Or week. It's just not that smart. I mean, just in case people are missing what's going on, all the Swifties mobilised and started voting for Jude Bellingham. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like I said before, it's like when Arsenal fans see a poll on Sky Sports News. There isn't anyone else winning that if there's an Arsenal player on that list. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I, I'd like, you know, I don't know if there are any Arsenal players on there, but you know, Arsenal fans. Oh, Bukayo's on it. A challenger, a challenger enters for uh, Golden Boy. Oh, not for Golden, he's Boy. The Golden no, Boy. He's 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 a Ballon d'Or. He's, yeah. yeah, he's grown up, hasn't he? Look and uh, congrats to Bukayo Saka for winning England Men's Player of the Year again ahead of on Jude. the week of his birthday. Yeah, I mean, let's find out if he's a Swifty or not. We can, ch- we can soon change that, Bukayo. Um, so yeah, but a couple of football bits from this week. Um, any other football stuff you want to touch on from the week? I think that's it. That's it. All right. Yeah. Um, Let's take a quick break and we'll get into some serious stuff in the week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're going to put a bit of a content warning here. We're not going to detail any allegations or any detailed information in the allegations of anything we're going to talk about, but just a heads up, we're going to talk a little bit about obviously the allegations that have been made and uh, against Anthony from Manchester United this week. We're going to talk a little bit about Mason Greenwood with the Catafe transfer. And we're also going to talk about Jordan Henderson's interview with Adam Crafton and David Ornstein from The Athletic. Mm. If you don't want to listen to this section at all, check the show notes. There'll be a time code that will take you straight to the mailbag part in part two. Mm. Um, just to reiterate, we're not going to detail 
the allegations, we're just going to mention that they have been made. Yeah. So I don't know where you want to start because there's been obviously the Greenwood social media stuff to Getafe, mm. which I think has been handled in a way which has alienated a huge amount of the football fan base. Mm. You've also had the allegations towards Anthony. And just on that, there's a really great piece by Mark Critchley and Jack Lang on The Athletic, which details all of the allegations against Anthony, his statement, uh, the statement from Manchester United and where it's at at the moment with yep. currently authorities in Brazil and yeah, Sao Paulo Greater Manchester Police, Police. Greater Manchester Police investigating it jointly. Yeah. Allegations of domestic violence against his former, go- his former partner. Yeah. Gabriela Cavalin. That running parallel to Getafe signing Mason Greenwood and the, the way that that has been handled on social media. Mm. Jorge Vilda's sacking. Mm. And obviously Jordan Henderson's interview with The Athletic mm. about his move to Saudi Arabia. And it's just thrown so many issues at people at once. Mm. If anyone I knew who loved football this week was just like, I can't do it anymore. I'd be like, yeah, I get it. There's a common thread between all of these things. They seem very different, different countries, different cases, contexts, but they're all very similar. I think there's one common thread, Ryan, which is that these clubs, be they, and these individuals, right? The individuals at the center of them and the clubs as well that support them, they assume that we will take football over everything. And there's a dangerous parallel they have between, it's actually like, I look at the Catholic church, for example, they assume an undying loyalty and undying fealty, but actually it's not like that. There's, a, there's, a, there's something that's deeply transactional about the way these clubs are behaving. We'll behave this way. We'll put on the show. You'll turn up. We'll give your eyeballs. Was that actually, no, like there's a lot going on in the world, right? There's a lot of difficult things going on, especially now, cost of living crisis, all the, rest, all the rest of it. There's stuff going on. People are busy. People are anxious. People are tired. And people are coming to football for a form of escapism and joy and community. And these clubs, these institutions are reminding them of some of the things that they are fleeing from with the greatest intensity. They're reminding, they're rubbing it in their faces. Now, some of these institutions don't care. We look at Getafe, advertising inside Mason Greenwood in what I regard as a gleeful fashion, um, a euphoric fashion. I would also say an irresponsible fashion, considering everything around Mason Greenwood at the moment. And you see these institutions making choices as to what kind of communities they want to nurture. Do you want to nurture communities where people can come along on match day or watch along online or in pubs and in bars and feel as if that community is a welcoming one, free from, free from danger, actually. Free from danger, free from anxiety. Not free from anxiety because, you know, some of our clubs give us endless anxiety, but, you know. The anxiety free, exists. Fun, fun, yeah, the anxiety exists, the suffering is necessary. But do you know what I mean? Like only suffering in a football sense. But the thing I think these clubs are showing is a fundamental arrogance, actually. Because they assume as well, and their complacency, because they assume that our patience with them is endless. And I said this with Manchester United before, they've dealt this way with allegations before in a way that I feel is unsatisfactory. Um, I feel that their lack of transparency at times has been, just over the years, has been a concern. I feel there's been a brazen nature to their behaviour. I feel they've extended, it's really interesting to see the players of theirs to whom they extend the fullest duty of care and the ones to whom they don't. Mm. I think also there are serious questions for Eric Ten Hag because Eric Ten Hag now has been at the centre of two serious issues involving allegations around treatment of women 
which I do not think he's handled in a satisfactory fashion. I don't think he's been at his best, um, either at Ajax or at Manchester United in that respect. I will just say that. I think there's ways in which as a figurehead of the club, he could have done better. I will always believe that. I just think it's time for these clubs to look at what they're trying to achieve beyond the bottom line in the trophy cabinet, because they're going to realise there's a lot more to football than those two things. A number of top-level football clubs are so careful about the comms that they push out. Mm. It worries me that there are not people within those organisations that aren't aware of the bigger impact that anything like this could have. Right. So I would say, for example, Colin Miller has been really, really good on a number of stuff in, in around stuff that's going on in Spanish football recently. Mm. And he highlighted an interview with Ruben Reyes, who's the sporting director of Catafe who said that the club signed Mason Greenwood because a judge cleared his name in court. And I'll just read Colin's words. Colin says, Whatever your thoughts on the signing, it is absolutely imperative that the facts are correct. There were no comments because there was no judge because there was no trial. Mm. So I think that this, again, is so important in how very, very sensitive and very, very troubling issues happen in football. It's the way that they're reported on and the way that they are communicated from official organisations, let's say. Mm. Getafe still could have signed Mason Greenwood mm. and they could have also announced that they had signed Mason Greenwood, but they could have then handled the following week with a care and sensitivity around the issue that is central, central to, his, to any move that he will make now. The Anthony issue, I think, is something slightly separate because it's allegations that were made while we were off in the summer and then allegations that have been uh, made formal and the inquiries are now being made and it's mm. under investigation. But he was um, dropped from the Brazil squad for the international break. Mm. And then stuff around the Vilda sacking and the communications from the RFEF around that. There have been statements that have, been, that have come out gradually that have distanced themselves from Rubiales or distanced themselves from Vilda. And it's, it's kind of pointless in a way, because the damage has already been done. Mm. The initial reaction to the situation is the thing that is most critical. Yes. It is absolutely imperative from an organisation or a club or an individual who has responsibility in reporting this stuff to, to nail that first step. Mm. It makes such a difference, I think, how these things play out. And what I mean by that is you know, we, you and I are kind of football idealists, I suppose. And yeah. we would love there to be a utopia where this kind of stuff just never happens. However, we're so far away from that being the case yeah. that it's when they do happen that mm. they, are, they are handled in a way that is responsible. And it's responsibility, which I think is central to all of this. Can I continue? Actually, I want to jump in there then, actually. I wasn't going to say this before, but I think it's important to mention editors at leading newspapers at times like this, have a huge responsibility to, to engage in facts-based facts reporting and commentary. And we've seen a couple of examples, I'm not going to name names because they don't deserve the further audience, they don't deserve the clicks, but a couple of examples in recent weeks where organisations, publications have gone forth and either platformed people denying allegations that have later been disproven or refuted by their own side, so, for example, we have a, a leading uh, publication here in Europe that's just published a big interview with a relative of someone under investigation at the moment, whose own federation has come out and criticised them openly, 
and saying it's ashamed of their conduct, right? We have, that's literally just come out like this morning, which is, is shameful in my opinion, um, providing platforms to people whose position has been disproved. And then we have other big organizations, big publications in the UK, for example, which consistently publish fact-free analysis of ongoing investigations of allegations of harassment against women, um, which are later disproven. And the concern there is you've got these huge publications, Ryan, that are shifting narratives in real time against people who are very bravely bringing these cases forward. And that to me is a massive problem. It's really irresponsible. And like in a couple of cases, we're seeing them retracting or editing pieces afterwards, which shows that they're aware of the public backlash because the public are like, look, at least report the facts, right? Like Colin said. But also it's not really about the individuals. It's about the general culture. It's about the structure, they're, they're, yeah. These yeah. are just examples, the most recent examples of it. Exactly, yeah. So I just think... One of the reasons it's so hard for people to get anything done in this space is because there are bad faith actors with huge amounts of resources working against them. And those bad faith actors think that football is more important than anything else, more important than moral concerns, more important than like what people are going through or suffering. If you look how secure everything looked a few weeks ago, Rubiales and Vilda at that press conference, dude, it looked absolutely solid. When they won that World Cup, when Spain won that World Cup, it looked like they were going to carry on there in that position for years. And look at it now. And that, I suppose, to bring it around to a positive point, is the power of protest, actually. If it wasn't for public pressure, there would have been a different outcome. And I want to encourage anybody that is concerned about any of these issues, actually, your voice does matter. We've seen that so much abundantly in the last few weeks. Like, on each of the issues we've mentioned, the needle's been shifted by public protest. A lot of this stuff just, just mirrors what happens in non-football discourse mm. and there are a lot of people who buy into these culture wars there's so much noise around all of this stuff that sometimes I just feel like there's a lack of consideration that goes into a lot of comment yeah what happens is a lot of people get caught up in the engagement of it and I think that engagement is a key term or a key thread that has gone through all of the stuff that's happened in the past week and extending back in the case of Rubiales and Vilda and some other cases. Engagement is the thing that certain people are being provocative in certain things or almost trying to plant their flag in the sand for no reason as other, other than to create a debate. There's, yeah. this, there's this kind of like obsession with debate. You're making a great point. And I just want to add to this about this obsession with, how do I say it? Look, I, I'm a big fan of like reason, argument, discourse, all the rest of it. There are also times when I look at it and I think, especially when a lot of this stuff is like, this is fact-free, evidence-free, like people's lives are at stake and mm -hmm. you're dismissing communities, individuals with a sweep of a hand, maybe because you're bored and you just like the idea of generating controversy. Some people will look at the response, the Jordan Henderson interview, and they'll be like, oh my goodness, if that's how people respond, if you let down queer communities, black people, whoever, trans people, if that's how people respond, then there's no point speaking out, we won't do it because it will have a chilling effect. I've seen some of that argument. Here's what I'll say about this. Solidarity is not conditional, right? Solidarity is to the end. Solidarity with minors, solidarity with other laborers, strikers, it's, it's, it's unconditional. And the reason that footballers understand solidarity is we saw the solidarity they extended to Benjamin Mendy after his trial. Footballers understand unconditional solidarity, even when it's unpopular. They understand it in principle. They understand what it means. So that They've the demonstrated concept, it. Demonst so the argument, the argument that, oh, we'll be dissuaded by unpopular stances. So to say, oh, we won't stand up for X, Y, Z because Jordan Henderson got criticism about his interview, which I think was ill thought out, ill advised, ill executed, all the rest of it, not by 
not by Adam Crafton or David Ornstein, by, by Jordan Henderson. I think the one value of that interview, the one great value of Jordan Henderson's interview in The Athletic about going and playing football in Saudi Arabia was it illustrated, as Miguel Delaney put it, the kind of the gilded cage that a lot of elite footballers move within. Not all of them, because a lot of them remain aware of the issues on the ground and credit to them. There's a lot of footballers doing excellent work at the grassroots who remain connected to communities. But what I think Jordan Henderson indicated or, or illustrated was that lack of connection to the people, to the community. And I think that ultimately will be devastating for him. I think beyond the money, beyond all of it, he will have to sit and consider that and sit with that. And this is the thing, we know this, Ryan, we know this from working in football long enough. Legacy matters to footballers. Yeah. When you go to those events and everyone's standing around and talking about their career and their medals, you know what actually matters in the end, right? No one talks about what money you earned. No one even talks about that much about what medals you won. They talk about the memories you gave them. But no one looks at, if it was just about trophies and goals, then certain footballers would never be in the conversation for the greatest of all time, right? But they gave us moments and they gave us principles. And in the end, footballers understand that beyond the haze of your latest earnings, your latest uh, ad campaign, promotion, that's what matters in the end. And I think football's going to remind all of these clubs, all these institutions, all these individuals involved who've maybe gone the wrong way on certain issues, in my opinion, that it's how you treated people in the end. It's the compassion you had for people in the end that matters. The Jordan Henderson thing, to me, thinking on, on the fly here, it's something that I think links all of these recent cases in the sense that like a huge section of society, because of the availability of information now, mm. you can't fucking bullshit people. No. The sources of information are way widely more available and people can do a hell of a lot more reading on this stuff. This sounds like I'm going in to do my own research territory, but you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> totally, totally. When you do an interview like what Jordan Henderson did, if you are going to put yourself in a position where you are essentially being a spokesperson for a really, really important cause and a really, really important issue, and you're going to put up with the stuff that a lot of those England players, obviously compared to people who are actually living it on the ground, it's non-comparable. But I'm saying that lot got a lot of fucking shit from a lot of England fans for a long time mm. about wearing rainbow armbands, wearing rainbow laces, speaking out on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community, taking the knee, all of this stuff. That is going to sting hard for a lot of people who put a lot of faith in these people. I think that's absolutely right. Because here's the thing, Ryan, I think you're completely right. Jordan Henderson, right? He got an MBE for his services to charity. Um, so here's the thing. No matter what backlash he gets for this interview, it will never be greater than the credit he's got for the work he's already done in relation yeah. to these areas. So you can talk about cancer culture, you like. He's still an MBE. He's still earning his money. He's still a Liverpool legend, all the rest of it. So here's the thing as well. There's a version of that interview where it's like, I'm not the best person to do this work. I'm not best placed to do it because here's the point. It's too important. The work is bigger than you. It's bigger than football. It's bigger than reputation. It's bigger than you having people think well about you in all contexts. It's bigger than you having your cake and eating it. And this is the thing for footballers who want to take up these courses, but in a way, unfortunately, it's so not insincere, but so ill-prepared or ill-advised that it feels like they're more building their brand and they're doing service to the people they need to help. If you come out and say, actually, I think I've made mistakes and I'm not the best person to lead this work. I'm happy with some of the work I've done in this area, but not others. Money was a substantial consideration. People look at it and go, 
Actually, yeah, I get it. Because if you're offered 150 million at a certain point of your career, I can see why some people might take that. And that's the human thing. But if you come out all kind of grace and favor, I'm going to change the narrative, my values, I go there and I can Growing help the to game. change. Come on, Fuck man. Off. Come on, man. Come, come on, on, man. Come on, like, man. Come on. Like, this is the kind of thing that I'm saying, like completely misreading the room. The same with all of the other stuff that we've talked about, all of the other issues. So you're actually like insulting the intelligence of the people who look to you. Right. Absolutely that. Absolutely that. Yeah. Like you can't half step on that. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because you look to different people in society for different things. Now, there are athletes, there are musicians, artists, public figures who we look to for inspiration and guidance on moral issues. And there, there are others of whom we don't expect that, Ryan, because they've shown they're not up to it. And actually, the ones who've shown they're not up to it, I respect more because they're like, do you know what? That's actually not for me. I can't take on that burden or that mantle. But to say you can take on that, to enjoy all the benefits, and this is the thing, to enjoy all the benefits of taking on the mantle, right? Oh, you're this great person. You're a champion for us. Here's the problem. It's that when people need you at a certain time, you let them down. It's unacceptable. And that's why I have a, a big criticism of it. It's not even about him taking the money, actually. It's about him holding himself out as somebody. And this is not just Henderson. It's everyone that speaks out on these platforms in these ways. It's holding yourself out as someone who can help to provide aid, can help to deliver a place of sanctity, a safer community, a better community, a warmer, more compassionate community. It's holding yourself out as that person. And when you're called upon, when people need you, it's abdicating your responsibility. It is the deepest irresponsibility. Yeah. Just to wrap up on this, I think that one of the, sounds a bit weird, but one of the encouraging things about football discourse now is that a lot of these issues are being covered with more attention and in more detail, mm. um, especially compared to what they were like, even like a few years ago. But I feel like the, the, the sheer volume of what is going on at the moment can be really exhausting and really, really difficult for a lot of people who are directly affected by this stuff in real life. Right. Absolutely. In the recent week and weeks, some of the way that some of these issues have been discussed from an official level and also from, you know, just like, I mean, you just see social media, it's a complete mess sometimes whenever anything like this happens or just without football in general. But what I think, I think I've said this before on Stadio, but the level of insensitivity that sometimes comes with this stuff sends a very clear message, either directly or indirectly, to a large proportion of a football fan base where they're kind of like, yeah, we don't actually really care about your well-being. Your fandom isn't actually that fucking important to us. And I feel that looping back to what we were saying at the top, I think that that is the responsibility of everyone who has some kind of weight and carries some kind of sway in, in football. Yeah, yeah. All right, man, are you ready for a turn of Sergio Ramos proportions? Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Sergio Ramos, is he the Loki of professional football? <laughs> do you know, no, he's not, he's not. Well, yes, no, he's not, he's not. Do you know why he's not? Because <laughs> it's strange. He's like um, watching... Sergio Ramos go back to Sevilla is really unsettling. It feels like Bane going back to his childhood playground. <laughs> Did it mean like, you know, oh, this is where it all started. This is why super villainy started. So for those who have not seen the news yet, Sergio Ramos has returned to Sevilla on a one-year contract for much less money than he would offer anywhere else. Still a lot of money. Still a lot of money. He's fine but, for money. But yeah. he's fine for money. The point is this. The point is not everyone goes for 
huge sums. Especially in the summer that has been. He turned down some lucrative offers, let's say. Right, him. right. But of course, not everybody at Sevilla is happy about it. No. Well, I mean, would you be when after Real Madrid, when he scored, would he score a penalty for Real Madrid and get cut the ears to the Sevilla crowd? It's like, <laughs> come on, Sergio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he gave it some. Yeah, yeah. When has Sergio Ramos not given it some? That's true, actually. There needs so, to be an extra... He's the, he's the, dude, he's the, spi- the spinal, t- spinal tap footballers. Footballers that are always at 11. <laughs> That's the 11 we need to do. The 11 11. The 11, up to, the turn it up to 11 11. Yes, we need. Right. <laughs> the turn Should we do up. it next week? Let's do it next week. Yeah, the turn up 11. We need to do the, the extra. Turn 11. it up to 11 11. Uh, <laughs> this 11, this 11 goes up to 11. Whereas most. <laughs> <laughs> Footballers who, in all respects, are absolutely extra. <laughs> Anyway, let's have some questions. This first one comes from Sana Qureshi, who's a brilliant writer. You should go and check her work. Sana says, just want to know who you both most like watching football with and why. <laughs> That's actually quite a loaded question. No, with you, of course, Ryan. With you, no, of don't course. lie, because we know that, I mean, uh, yeah, we, we, love what, we love watching football together. Yeah, for sure. But it always ends up like we're doing a live podcast. The last time I actually in, watched football with you for pure enjoyment was the Ajax Real Madrid. That's years ago. Do you remember that? The Ice Roman did the 4-1. We, we sat and watched Holland's goal against PSG. We were watching that game together. Oh, that. But I still think the, the, the favourite was still the Ajax Rail. But for, yeah, I mean, for that was game, great. Just because was, we were like, like, yeah. But I don't know. I'm actually quite a sort of, um, sounds quite sad, but I'm quite a solitary character when it comes to watching football. I'm the same. I actually was going to say this. Like in person, I really enjoy watching football. Like say for a game. Yeah. Like in a stadium. Um, yeah, I mean, watching football with you is really... Watching football with Flo is really funny in person. Mm. Um, but I, in terms of watching football on the TV, I'm, I'm actually... I really love watching football on the TV on my own. I'm quite alone. Yeah, I'm like... Yeah, even, yeah it sounds so sad, but like it sounds... I know we sound like complete sad. They live in the same city and they don't even do the podcast in person. <laughs> you know, I think... Um, yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of movies by myself. Oh, I, I watched the movie last night by myself. I watched Top Gun Maverick. Oh, that's such a good film. Seen that twice now, yeah. We were talking about knowing your audience earlier. If there was ever an example of a movie, absolutely knowing their audience. The problem is, you Top know, they're going to be Maverick. like, the next one's going to be like, oh, who's Maverick and who's Goose? You know, they're going to go with that narrative. <laughs> All right. We talked about movies just then. Let's have this one from Kunle Ajayo. If you could put a football season in the hands of a movie director, what would it be? And he followed up a, a response from someone else saying, I'd look at last season from the perspective of Bayern Munich. Comical, bungled, shouldn't work, but somehow does. It's Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> I would do Scorsese directing when Madrid won their third in a row. Ooh. Do you know why? Because you've got Barcelona who've had their treble just like a few years before. And you've got like Barcelona going, how the hell are Madrid doing all of this after we've just built this like absolute behemoth? And then all the kind of clubs around Europe going for them. And do you know what I'd like it directed in the style of Gangs of New York? <laughs> Where you've got like everyone just coming. Sergio Ramos as Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> wow. Leading the charge. I think it would be that would be a real sort of like operatic, snarling beast of a, of a production. I think there, Scorsese directing. Because can you imagine? It also, imagine the shots Scorsese would get. Imagine Scorsese directing Real Madrid all or nothing, the third straight, Evers out to get them. Come on, lads, the whole of Europe's against us. And just the epic shots he could do. And Perez in the middle of it all. I think that would be epic. 
That's cinema. I like that. That's cinema. Um, I'd go with the Safdie brothers doing last season's Dortmund. Oh my god! <laughs> because the only thing that could have made that more stressful was probably a Safdie direction <laughs> <Yes>. and production. <laughs> yes. Turn all the color saturation right up. Get one of Tricks Point Never doing the soundtrack, and just everyone's running around. Like to be honest, they the could most have done stressful that. Movie. Do you know what? You could have actually just got them to direct the final game. <laughs> That would have been stressful. Super stressful. It's still the most stressful movie I've watched of the last few years. The last five years, I'd say. Let's have another question. Just a quick one from D5. She said, I'd, li- I'd, just like s- I'd just like someone to acknowledge that Brentford are first in XG in the league at the break. We've spent the last two summers being told that we would struggle without Ericsson and Tony. Maybe it's time people realise that this is a good all-round team that isn't dependent on anyone. To be fair, I think that that's been the whole point of Brentford, is that they aren't really dependent on anyone, maybe apart from Thomas Frank. That is such a good point. Yeah, because Brentford is so well managed and such a good system mm. that the players aren't, they're not interchangeable. No players are interchangeable, but they know their roles so well. You see it like with Sheffield United, for example, where there's just a plan and mm. players are brought in and recruited so well through that plan that you can bring in new players having sold on new ones. And it's similar to Brighton too. And the wheels keep turning. So yeah, but I, I love that shout. And you could argue even when you have players like Ericsson through whom so much goes it can actually be easier to stop them you sometimes need to break up the playmaking threat and I think Brentford have done that really well so yeah I love that shout uh, this one from Baz says how many goals does Jude Bellingham score this year closest wins if Musa loses the Slatan take comes out <laughs> you're never getting it <laughs> I nearly released the take actually one of the you questions did, I got lie. no that's true I didn't you don't so what do you think? I'm, I'm going to say, in all comps, I'm going to say 19 goals. They'll dry up the goals, won't they? After the, initials, mm. after the initial surge, they'll dry up. I was going to say 15, actually. I was okay. going to say 15. 15 I, and 19. I just some think, some I just, remind us of that at the end of the season. I just think the goals will dry up a little because they naturally have to. Um, but then what will happen is we'll just go into playmaking mode and open up space mm. for others. Um, this one from John Squires what's the, la- what's the last moment in a game that had you crying with laughter either crowd or match related I think it'll be a while before if there's a qualified official in the ground can they let themselves known to a steward at Pompey versus Cheltenham a few weeks ago that happened a couple of times I think gosh what's the most I'm trying to think made me howl with laughter there's always some slapstick moment um, it's really this is really embarrassing to say I said this actually on socials but it was when the commentator said white rice the other day. And for some reason, I just howled with laughter because it was so ridiculous. Uh, I've got an Arsenal one, actually. It was um, when Arsenal beat Chelsea last season, Odegaard, I think, and Odegaard was celebrating. And Ben White runs over and just dinks the ball off a cone right onto the back of Odegaard's head. <laughs> <laughs> it was just sick. It was just like, I just, I, I fucking love Ben White. Like, I just, he's just so funny. He's so, so funny. Oh my goodness, um, actually, since we're going about, like, so... We could do, like, actually, do you know what? Most, I think probably three out of the last five times where I've genuinely laughed about football in, in that sense has been Ben White related. Can I say my favourite laugh out loud moment in football of all time is still when Nigeria beat Brazil in the um, semi-final, the 1996 Olympics, and Carlos scores the golden goal winner and then goes off and does this like drunken chicken celebration. Like he pretends to be this drunken, like 
African uncle and he starts walking off and everyone's trying to celebrate with him. But he's like doing this chicken walk and then it's, I was howling. I was absolutely, because it was so, it was the first time I'd seen a celebration that joyful, that chaotic and that ridiculous in one go. Um, so yeah, that's my favourite. Kanu's celebration against Brazil. Oh, any, any mention of Kanu. Yeah, yeah. It's a classic. Is welcome. Mark Wallace says, if you had to build a football ground with four stands from different stadia, what would they be and why? I'm going to pander to the, the base here. Um, the obvious ones and one less obvious one. So you've got that incredible, we always mention the view that Braga have, right? The one side of the Braga ground and the other three would have to be maybe the yellow wall, the cop and the Stretford end. Just wow. because of, just, do you know what I mean? In terms of like energy, like collective energy, I think. So then you've got the sort of, you've got the scene you have the kind of, what's the word? Um, you've got the scene setting of Braga, but then you've got just the energy of those respective spaces, I think. It's a collective energy. I can't imagine. I can imagine some as intense, but nothing more intense than those. So I'd say that. And you think of all the TIFOs, man. You think of all the banners and the kind of the solidarity and all of that. Yeah. And there's a kind of the working class element with all of them connecting that. So yeah. I really like that. Would there be uh, some kind of maybe... Oh, the question is the biggest, the biggest controversy is who's the mascot? Who's the mascot? So a completely different I mean, that mascot. that wasn't part of the question, but... A mascot from a different, uh, yeah, a mascot from a different club altogether. Maybe think, that, who's it? Um, uh, hang on. The one from, is it Partick Thistle, the terrifying one? <laughs> 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 or, I was going to say, um, um, West Brom's Boiler Man. I've not seen that. Not <laughs> it's seen. just a dude dressed up as a boiler. Sounds amazing. Great vibes. Yeah, I like that. I think that's good. And maybe with the um, maybe with the external architecture of San Siro. Oh wow! Oh, yeah, we having that. Cop Stretford End, Suchibuna, giant cliff with the with the architecture of San Siro. Hook that to my veins. Yeah, oh, love that. Uh, what a stadium! The the Stadio della. Stadio dello Stadio. <laughs> stadio Stadio. Love that. Um, of course, I'm sporting director. You're absolutely not. <laughs> no, of course I am. No, no, I'm so, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I do. I buy the club. So, what would the club be? Let's, is it just a well, Stadio the point, FC? The point, right? the point is, so that like, I buy the club and then appoint myself sporting director. That's where it's got to go. I don't get a point yeah. that I point myself. Full-blown autocracy. <laughs> Fair and balanced. 25 players registered for the, for the league squad. 17 of them are number eights. And on 11-year contracts. Three of them are goalkeepers. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking. The thing is, you laugh, but like... Everyone listening, you don't see what I see. Years from now. Oh my God, <laughs> drunk on power. He's going to give himself a fellowship of his own football club. <laughs> President, fellow and sporting director. <laughs> One from Holly Balleen. You die and go to heaven. <laughs> look, look at you. Well, that's, that's a big assumption, Holly. Before St. Peter lets you through the pearly gates, you're given a chance to attend a historic and notable football match from history. Which ones do you both choose? Oh my God. Okay, first of all, um, 
I might be one of the few people in history to get a yellow card at the pearly gates just for turning up. <laughs> Imagine. The guys at the pearly gates are just a few, a few weeks into a new directive from like whoever runs heaven, like the PGHOL or something. Right? <laughs> and the new management. Here's a suggestion. This is a bit hipster, but I'll throw it in there. You know the World Club Cup games where they actually really still meant something? Hmm. To both nations. So you had, I think it was um, when Sao Paulo played against AC Milan in like the early 90s and they played in Tokyo. Going and imagine like fancy trip, all expenses paid, go to Tokyo and you watch like peak AC Milan against like peak Sao Paulo. I think a thing like that, just because if it's a, if it's a classic game, I think one of those, I think also a bit of a kind of a cliche, but the 1970 World Cup final. Oh, that's interesting. Do you know what? I'll tell you why. Because you'd have a whole week of build-up. Yeah. So if you know you're going to a World Cup final, you get like a week in Mexico City and you get to watch in the Aztec Stadium and then you go home with all those memories. I think that would be pretty amazing. Um, that's interesting because I was going to go four years later. I was going to go 1974 World Cup final. Wow, really? Okay, how come? Yeah, and I'd go there from the future, right? And mm. I'd basically be like, guys, if you don't win this game, you're never going to win another one. I think that would actually be appealing enough. You say, get the second goal. It's one of the most consequential footballing fixtures, actually. I think that in the 82 World Cup, just in terms of the direction of football, because as, of course, the way, when you win football a certain way, it gives permission to everyone else to play a certain way. Mm. The 74 team, 74 Dutch team and the 82 Brazil team, if they'd won playing in those styles, I think it transforms everything. Anyway, that's my agree. hot take. Yeah. Uh, Luke Degenart says, Musa, last season you stated that Christian Pulisic must be very careful about where he goes next. How yeah. do you feel now that he has managed his departure from Chelsea to me Milan? I'm delighted for him. I'm delighted for him. You talk about someone that really sat and thought about what he needed, what he could bring to a squad. And also like credit to Milan as well for their recruitment because they sacked Maldini. There was a lot of noise around that and understandably so. I just think he could not have chosen a better club. And you think about that, like he went from one of the toughest situations at Chelsea, just an absolute mess. And he's gone into Milan and he just fits. Best possible choice. Really happy for him in, in the sense that here's now a player that can achieve his potential, which is, you know, abundant. Mm. Lovely question there. Thank you. Oh, it's always, it's always nice. To, it's always nice to like hear about stuff that you've talked about and to see it's worked out for people. Emily Oram? Yes, of course. Of course. Emily You're putting together a runway show. Who's modelling for you? Uh, Managers or stop, players? Past or present? And what is the theme? Okay, okay, let me, let me say this. Um, Italy, yacht chic, right? Like that whole, <laughs> that, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, who's, what managers are there? So I say Marcello Lippi, for sure. Nice. Lippi in there, of course, you have Hector Bella in there. King George, George Ware, I think. I think you got to, I think you just need to have these icons who either played in Italy or who had this like sensibility where you either have basically players who had either played in Serie A and were stars there or players who would have graced Serie A, not just on the field, but off the field. So you'd obviously have like Paolo Maldini there, but like basically and the whole, the whole chic of it would be people you could imagine seeing on yachts in the Gulf of Genoa with boat chic, like, you know, sweaters around the necks, socks, the, the, the um, uh, shorts and loafers. So yeah, that's a, I'm throwing that out there. How about yourself? Um, it's an interesting one because 
This is also a slide where Emily asking for our thirst traps. I know, right? <laughs> we see you. I go high-waisted, double-breasted suits. Incredible. Incredible. Neckerchiefs. <laughs> that means Ian's got to be there. You've got to mention Ian there. He'd love to do that. Soft, pastel colours. Mm. And I'd go for a, just footballers and tattoos. You have to have tattoos to be there. Dude, that Darwin is... Darwin Nunez. Hector's going to be there as well. Rodrigo de Pau. The entire Argentina. Yeah. Georgia Stanway. Dude, that is a serious concept. Tattoo catwalk. Thierry. Is he a tattoo? Really? He's he's got, got, yeah, he's got full tattoos, man. Yeah, his arms oh. are like... Do you know what? I'm going to put Jude in there as well. Like, we'll just pretend he's got tattoos. I don't think he's got tattoos yet. Do you think but, he's going to uh, have a tattoo era? I hope he does. <laughs> um, oh, do you know, like, someone like Reese Nelson. Oh, wow. Because he's got the stubble as well and the amazing haircut. I think that that, yeah. Reese with his tats and the kind of, I think the colours would just look amazing on him. Jenny Hermoso. And I would have David Axelrod doing the music. <laughs> <laughs> Big orchestral stuff that every hip hop head is going to be like, fuck, I need to flip this. Yeah, of course. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm now, I'm, I'm now wondering why this hasn't happened already. Because no one's given us the budget, that's why. <laughs> oh, I didn't know where it'd be, though. Where would it be? Got to be outdoors. Seville. <laughs> I love that. Um, all right, man. Do you reckon we get out of here? Let's do it. We hope everyone's doing all right. Don't forget to check Wright's House on Friday. You and I will be back next week. Yes, yes. Well. But yeah, don't forget to check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. And speaking of which, we're playing out on Mannix. You held my hand. Reinforced classic. Uh, anything you would like to add, Musa Gonga? Nothing further. Awesome. In that case, everyone, have a lovely weekend. Much love. We'll be back with you on Monday. See you then.